0: Now on something that's been all over the news in recent weeks, Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. Yeah, his takeover hasn't been without issues, shall we say, from charging for verification to laying off half of the social media site's staff. As a result, millions of Twitter users are exploring another little-known platform called Mastodon. Twitter, this website, a platform that people love to hate, a platform people love to yell, I'm leaving! but they always come back. They left for Pounce. Remember Pounce? They came back, and Pounce died. They left for Plurk, and they came back. Plurk went niche. Still around, but small. They left to start whole new protocols like Diaspora and Identica. And every time they fly to an alternative, they also fly back. Except maybe this time? Is this the exception? Because this isn't the story of Twitter. This is the story of a place that has almost all the ingredients to keep the Twitter exodus. Let's help you know a little more about Mastodon. It's March 2007. The South by Southwest Interactive Festival in Austin, Texas is filled with Web 2.0 pitches and internet stars. But one website, is standing out, Twitter, with a giant screen in the convention center showing tweets as they happen in real time, and it's stealing the spotlight. That kind of feels like the last time people unanimously loved Twitter. In 2009, a group calling itself the Iranian Cyber Army hacked Twitter through a DNS exploit. It won't be the last time Twitter gets hacked, but it will cause one of the first big rounds of questions of whether Twitter is safe and should I leave? Should I go somewhere else? Won't be the last time that happens either. In 2011, Twitter posts are credited with fueling uprisings in the Middle East, known as the Arab Spring. But... Twitter also launches the Quick Bar. None of you remember the Quick Bar, do you? It was a floating bar at the top of the iOS app, which everyone hated and was withdrawn after loud user complaints, some of which were people saying, I'm leaving Twitter. Then, of course, there's longer-lived problems, like Gamergate and the vitriolic arguments and harassment about what true journalism and who were fake gamers. That drove a lot of people to quit Twitter. And that led calls for better Twitter moderation. You get the idea. Controversies happen frequently on Twitter, and when they do, users storm off to try an alternative. (laughs) But in 2016, the U.S. presidential election made every one of those controversies, even Gamergate, look tiny. A month out from Election Day, a European developer decided, well, I'm going to be the latest to try to make another Twitter alternative. Maybe this will be the one. Mastodon launched October 5th, 2016. Developer Eugen Rochko posted on Hacker News, Show HN: A new decentralized microblogging platform, and it linked to the GitHub page with the code. There you could find the code for yet another decentralized social network, but it stood out from previous attempts in a couple of ways. First, it was truly open source. This wasn't a proprietary service pretending to be decentralized, trying to get everybody's goodwill. Anybody could set up a Mastodon server, truly open source. But second, it was also polished. It looked like a slick implementation of TweetDeck. In the past, you usually got one or the other, Mastodon had both. Developers in general were complimentary, and several jumped in to help work on the project. And since anybody could set up a Mastodon server, lots of them did, showing that it could work as a truly federated and decentralized platform. You just needed the people to use it. So it simmered away. People wandered in as they heard about it in various corners of the internet. Some small communities made it their home. It was a nice, relaxing place to have your community. But that calm period changed in March 2017. The rancor on Twitter had been snowballing since the election of President Trump the previous autumn. It kind of seems like background noise now, doesn't it? But at the time, you have to remember, it was overwhelming and new. People got angry on Twitter before, but not in these numbers and not with this kind of sustained rage. Almost every user on the platform was picking a side and firing shots at the other. That might explain why a seemingly innocuous change began another exodus. On March 30th, Twitter announced that the names of people you are replying to would not count against the character count. And if you replied to more than one person, only the first person's name would show with the rest available behind a click. Minor stuff, right? Wrong! What are you hiding?! With everyone angrily replying to each other and laser-focused on shaming their opponents by name, this was seen as hiding important information behind a click. And in reality, this was the straw that broke the camel's ability to stay on Twitter for a lot of people. So when big names like It Crowd creator Graham Lynham, aka Glinner, and Community and Rick and Morty creator Dan Harmon started accounts on Mastodon, a wave followed them. Motherboard's Sarah Jong had been working on an article about the little platform and found herself documenting a mass migration. Mastodon users jumped 70% in 48 hours, and Ruchko met his $800 a month Patreon goal. Re- really fast. I think he gets more than that now. Jong posted her Motherboard article on April 4th. Mashable's Jack Morse posted the same day with the title, By Twitter, all the cool kids are migrating to Mastodon few days later, on April 7th, Quartz and The Verge both had published guides on how to use Mastodon. By April 9th, 2017, Mastodon had 129,302 accounts. Nothing compared to Twitter's hundreds of millions, of course, but a hockey stick-like growth that caught people's attention. Rochko's main instance, Mastodon.social, had to lock registrations to encourage new users to sign up on one of the other 1,200 or so servers. Mastodon was having its moment like Pounce, and Plurk, and Identica, and Diaspora before it. And almost as quickly as it began, it ended. The pattern helped. The Twitter faithful got mad. The Twitter faithful fled. The Twitter faithful realized that they still liked yelling at each other on Twitter, and they went back. By May 22nd, the headline on The Verge was, What happened to Mastodon after its moment in the spotlight? Thankfully for Rochko and friends, the story was more plurk than pounce. The flood stopped, but there was a new community that stayed around, and they even still grew. The Verge's Megan farouk described it as a grab bag of, quote, personal observations, video games, politics, comics, and a mix of users speaking in French, Japanese, Spanish, and more. In fact, it was now a cozy community, slightly bigger than it had been a few months before, but the better for it the Twitter masses had gone… for now. Let's take a look at how Mastodon works, shall we? Because it's not exactly a Twitter clone, and if we look at how it works, you'll see some of the reasons Mastodon is a good Twitter alternative, but also different, and has a couple roadblocks to becoming massively popular. Mastodon's code is issued under the AGPLv3 open source license. Uh, That just means that anybody can get the code and make a server and you're not going to get charged for it. It's built on the W3C ActivityPub standard. So they didn't make up their own protocol. They're using a standard not just used by Mastodon. Other federated services use it, like PeerTube for video. PixelFed uses it for images. Friendica is another social networking alternative that uses ActivityPub. But the point here is Mastodon is standards compliant. ActivityPub is a World Wide Web Consortium standard, just like HTML. Mastodon's open source code is free, and the license does not allow anyone to reverse that. You can't take it and stop it. It's going to stay free. It's administered by a German nonprofit called Mastodon, which owns the trademark and runs two servers, the original Mastodon.social and Mastodon.online. Mastodon describes the Federation of Servers as the Fediverse. Basically, anybody can take that open source code and start their own server as long as they want to maintain it. Those servers can then integrate with all the other servers in the Fediverse as much or as little as they want. Each server can have its own policies and moderation rules. This is one of Mastodon's strengths. So you can be on a server and see posts on every other server in the Fediverse, but you can also choose a server that plays by rules you're comfortable with. So, If you want maximal free speech, don't block anything, find a maximal free speech server. If you want strong moderation and crackdowns on offensive speech and little tolerance for deviation from the rules, choose a server with those kinds of policies. You can still interact with the rest of the Fediverse, but with filter levels and other rules that you're comfortable with. So, for example, a Mastodon server can see all the posts in the Fediverse, but a particular server might choose, for example, to ban a list of swear words. Everybody on this server says, these are words we don't want to hear. It's fine if you say them somewhere else. We don't want to see them. So if you sign up on that server, you'd see all the posts from the rest of the Fediverse unless they had swearing from this list in them. But swearing doesn't have to be banned everywhere in the Fediverse for this to work. If you don't mind seeing swearing, well, you're not going to choose this server. You'll choose a server that doesn't block it. And you can also block a server yourself just within your own account. Let's say you don't like the policies or perspectives of those people who post on the Mastodon server, blacklicorice.rocks. You can stop it from ever showing up in your feeds without subjecting everyone else on your server to being blocked. Some of those people might like black licorice. Of course, most people will pick a server that has policies they agree with, so they don't have to do a lot of maintenance and blocking. But what if you change your mind? Or what if you just picked the wrong server? Or what if your server changes its policies? This is where another feature of the Fediverse comes in handy. You're not locked into a server. You can try one out and then change your mind, and you won't lose your data. Mastodon makes it possible to take your follower list along with you super easy. With Facebook or Twitter, if you leave, that means abandoning everything. You can export your data, but what are you going to do with it? You can't take it anywhere else. With Mastodon, it just means a couple of export and import clicks, boom, you're on a new server. There are either one or two steps, depending on what you want to keep after you move. If all you want to keep is your followers, so people can find you immediately at your new server, you can do that automatically. If you want to keep who you follow, your mute list, your block list, your bookmarks, your domain blocks, you can do that too. You just need to export a file with that info and then import it when you set up the new account. The point here is, it's not complicated to move from one server to another. This is also why Mastodon usernames look like email addresses. Tom at Mastodon.server, for example, would mean that the user's name is Tom and the server that he's on is Mastodon.server. If Tom were to move, he might become Tom at blacklicorice.rocks, but it could be the exact same account with the same post, same follower list, etc., Even with the ability to switch servers, the choice does make it daunting for some people to sign up in the first place, not just for the simple reason of having to choose, that that is enough to turn some people off, but because the various apps aren't the best yet at making it easy to see what's available and get signed up. Some people just turn away because it's just not a good onboarding experience. But whatever server you end up with, you'll be able to view multiple feeds. And once you're in, you'll feel, okay, this is pretty familiar if you're a Twitter user. Different servers can tweak them a little, but usually there's one for people you follow, makes sense, one for interactions with your posts, makes sense, one to see everything on your local server. Well, that's kind of unique to Mastodon. And quite often one called Federated, which lets you see every post from every server your server interacts with. That, that would be the fire hose on Twitter. A lot of servers also have a feed called Explore, which lets you see posts from across the Federverse that are getting a lot of attention. That's the closest Mastodon gets to a trending topics feed. There are also direct messages favorites and bookmarks. You may think, well, what's the difference between a favorite and a bookmark? Favorites lets other people know you like something. Bookmarks are for you to reference something later, whether you like it or not. And you can make your own lists just like you can on Twitter. The standard message posting on Mastodon will look familiar with a couple of tweaks. Mastodon has a maximum of 500 characters, not 280. You can attach an image, run a poll, add a content warning, and select a default language that the post is in. Posts are also jokingly referred to as toots. That's something that came along in the early day. It's a a play on tweets, and because Mastodon's logo is a big, hairy, extinct elephant, while the word toot is still in use, it's kind of deprecated, depending on who you ask. Posts can also have varying privacy settings. You can let a post be public across the Fediverse, Everybody can see it. Uh, Private to only your followers. As long as somebody follows you, they can see it. Otherwise, they won't discover it. Direct between users. Just the people you're at replying. Or even unlisted. Uh, Unlisted means anybody can get to it if they know where to look, but it won't be discoverable. There are some differences from Twitter, too. Uh, Search is more limited. Most servers only return searches for usernames and hashtags. For example, the Explore feed that I was just mentioning... It only follows hashtags, not individual words and posts. And boosts are the equivalent of retweets on Mastodon, but they don't allow retweet with commentary. You boost something, it just goes into the timeline of somebody who follows you without comment. One of the downsides of Mastodon's federated approach is that not every server is going to be as well-run as every other server. Large popular servers have very few problems, but niche communities rely on the good graces of some small teams or sometimes even individuals, and there's no monetization built into the platform. So folks who run servers are just doing it out of the goodness of their heart or maybe relying on donations or crowdfunding like Patreon. And that means not every server is going to stay secure. It also means things like posting images can become an ethical dilemma if you know that each image is going to increase the cost of the volunteer who runs your server. That boils down to two things working against Mastodon's uptake with the wider populace ease of use, the onboarding stuff I was talking about earlier, and difficulty of maintenance, uh, not wanting to run an insecure server. Hold those thoughts. The trade-off of all of this is that you get that ability to pick and choose moderation. Something that attracted people to another run at Mastodon that happened in 2022. And man, this time, it was a lot bigger. It was Mastodon-sized. By October 2022, Mastodon had grown to 300,000 users. Not bad. A little less than three times what it had during that Big but brief migration of 2017. I mean, okay, it's not booming, but it's not declining. It's a nice, slow-growing community of people with a small, suburban social networking feel. Then, October 27th, 2022, Elon Musk closed his long-embattled acquisition of Twitter. It would be an entire separate episode to discuss all the events of Musk's first few months in Twitter, Uh, lifting the ban on President Trump, firing executives, firing more people, lifting more bans, launching paid verification, unlaunching paid verification, laying off more people, making decisions by poll, the list goes on. And with each event, the Twitter users did what Twitter users always do, flee to try something else. There were new platforms to try this time around, Hive and Post, platforms on the comeback trail like Tumblr, but the biggest by far was a familiar furry trunk. Mastodon had never gone away, it was never in decline, but it never grew like this. Between October and November 2022, it grew 800% to 2.5 million. Now, granted, that's still smaller than Twitter's 350 million plus, but it's now in the conversation. Unfortunately, it happened right before the holidays, which took away some of the momentum as people paid less attention to whatever wild thing Twitter CEO was posting. And after the first of the year, CES diverted the tech world's attention. And Musk's antics seemed to, I don't know, become a little boring. They engendered less panic than they had before. In fact, by February, Mastodon users had fallen from the 2.5 million high to 1.4 million. Kind of looked like an old story. Twitter users angered, Twitter users flee. Twitter users get over it and come right on back. Alternative platform left to pick up the pieces. Except. January 19th, Twitter changed its API, kicking off third-party clients. That left a bunch of very talented and experienced developers wondering, what should we do now? Maybe make a Mastodon app? The folks who made TweetBot did just that and launched Ivory. The folks who made Aviary launched Mammoth and even got funding from Mozilla. Suddenly, there were easier and again, well-polished ways to get started with Mastodon, made by developers who by all rights should not have been given the opportunity to do this. But what about maintenance? On February 10th, Cloudflare, Company who makes its money securing big websites from cyber attacks and downtime launched Wildebeest. It lets you quickly spin up a Mastodon server that supports ActivityPub and other Fediverse APIs with the ability to do all the basics publish, edit, boost, delete posts. And of course, that server is going to sit behind Cloudflare's security from denial of service and other attacks. You're still going to need some tech chops, but this makes it a lot easier for someone to get a server up and going and not worry as much about maintenance and security. But Fast Company may have had the best point. Maybe Mastodon isn't following the Twitter alternative pattern at all. Maybe it's following the Twitter pattern. In April 2009, two years after Twitter's launch, Nielsen noted that only 40% of Twitter users still use the service. In February 2011, Forbes noted Twitter's user base had dropped by 5 million. Even as recent as 2014, a Reuters Ipsos poll found that 36% of people who join Twitter say they never use it. And yet Twitter, even after all the outrage, is still going. So Mastodon, I don't know, It may or may not be a replacement for Twitter. Maybe it's... Just a new platform in the mix. Maybe it's going to become something totally new and unexpected. In other words, I hope you know a little more about Mastodon. Dog and Pony Show Audio